For those who are listening outside of these walls, you're listening to the services of the Broomfield Baptist Church. This is the pastor bringing the Sunday morning message, centering around the Beatitude, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We invite you to join us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 5. And I would, as we've done, like to read through the Beatitudes, at least verses 1 through 12, and then consider verse number 9 in particular, if you would read out loud with me when we come to verse number 9. I would appreciate that. Matthew chapter number 5, beginning in verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes, he, that is Jesus, went up into a mountain. When he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Read verse 9 out loud. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, Lord Jesus, we approach your word together this morning with humility. I ask, Lord, that you would challenge us with your words as you did your disciples on that hillside that day. That we wouldn't leave here, not one of us would leave this service and this message the same way that we came. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. May we truly understand what you've called us to be as your disciples and the blessedness that attends those that will follow your admonition to be peacemakers. Looking for that day when we will have a title upon us, not because of anything that we've done, but all because of what you have done for us and through us at Calvary. Thank you for your shed blood, Lord. It reminds us of the freedom we have to serve you in liberty. Thank you for this country and for those that have given their life and shed their blood even. That we can serve you freely and openly. We can open your word now in a public place in a community center. And we can hold it forth as a source of light and hope in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation and generation. Lord, may your people... Truly be called by your name and know that they are of what was referred to in the early Christians as being part of that way. Help us to understand that path that we can take to lead others to you and to help bring unity to our brothers and sisters in Christ who call your name. We'll praise you, Lord, for what you do in this service. I ask for your special strengthening of my voice. Lord, may I just be your vessel today. Hide me behind Calvary and behind the cross, and may you, my Savior, increase as I decrease. May you be lifted up. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Amen. Now here in the West, 
You know, I feel I feel it's appropriate that I can start a message on being peacemakers with this illustration. I don't know if I would use it quite anywhere else. Some of you are excuse me, already anticipating where I'm going. Uh, when the West was being settled, you know, we sang about the heroes that went on and they plotted the path through the wilderness. Uh, that was here in Colorado. Uh, we may even have some pioneer families in our church gathering here today. That uh, your family laid down roots here and they were part of that expansion westward when Lewis and Clark you know, paved the way uh, from the east coast to the west coast, finding the Pacific, and then people settling here in the Denver area and others. Well, there was a man from, well, you guessed where I'm going now, didn't you? Uh, he was a man from Dodge City, Kansas, who had a reputation. And uh, the story goes that he continued on his journeys with his brothers, and they wound up down in Tombstone, Arizona. Well, he got a name in Dodge City, and his, he was known for being the peacekeeper there. In fact, he had a cult. Uh, a Colt revolver that he named the peacemaker and I do start with that illustration I don't think it's completely inappropriate to think about what Jesus said here in being peacemakers now please don't take away from this that you need to go and get a Colt you know and have a revolver and wear you know open carry here you can do that in Colorado if you want to by the way but that's not that's not what I'm <laughs> I'm endorsing here but I do want you to think about what Jesus said because there's some things that being a peacemaker is not. And I don't know if, if we really have the best understanding when we think of a peacemaker as being someone who will just compromise for the sake of keeping peace. To be a peacemaker means that you're willing to take a stand where a stand is needed to be taken. It doesn't mean that you become a doormat. It doesn't mean that you compromise on certain things that are really uncompromisable. For instance, as a peacemaker, we do not compromise on doctrine. We get our doctrine from the Scripture, and the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And if we're going to be peacemakers, it doesn't mean that we throw out the doctrines of the apostles and our Lord Jesus Christ simply to appease and, and try to have a peaceful situation, because that's not really peacemaking. All that is, is prolonging the inevitable conflict that will come because conflict happens over doctrine. Let me say that again. Doctrine brings conflict. It's inevitable. Because everybody can't be right. There's only one who is right. And His name is God. The Lord Jesus Christ set the bar. He set the standard. And Paul said it this way in Romans. He said, let God be true and every man a liar. So where God issues His truth and His doctrine, doctrine simply is teaching. Where God issues that in His Word and it's clear, it's black and white, then if we waver from that and we try to plot another path, inevitably the two can't walk together. How can two walk together except they be agreed? So if you're going to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, who said Himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. If you're going to try to go around any other way, you're going to wind up like those that climbed over the wall headed to the celestial city in Pilgrim's Progress. You're not going to have the papers to get in. And when you have to present those, you're not going to be found in Jesus Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. I want to read to you a quote, a poem from uh, Francis of Assisi. 
He understood this call to be an active pursuit of peace. Listen to his words. I thought they were, they were timely. Even though he wrote them long ago. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hate, may I bring love. Where there's offense, may I bring pardon. May I bring union in place of discord. I think that's a good challenge. Now, granted, we need to remember that we are not the mediator between God and man. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But as followers of Him, we are called, as we read in our Scripture reading, to be a peculiar people. And as we look at the verse, you know, the translation is good. I stand with the translation in verse number 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The word translated children literally is huios, and so that uh, is the Greek word huios, and so literally that is sons. You could render it very roughly literally as sons, but also children is included in that idea. The sons of God. Sons of God is an interesting study through the Scriptures. How many times do the, do the sons of God appear? They shall be called the children of God. Now, I have, I have some sons. I have two sons that are, one of them is here in this service with me. Uh, the other one is probably down the hall, I think, still, because he's, he's growing and he'll be in here before long. I've heard people, and my wife really says this a lot, they look just like me. I'm sorry, son. <laughs> now, let, let that apply here. Think that through. They should be called the sons of God. I don't think I could deny these boys if I tried. Just put us next to each other. I think it's undeniable, the DNA. In fact, uh, at Potluck last week, you know, I've got, uh, many of you are aware that we have essentially, uh, we're fostering my, my cousin's children. And we were having a conversation and they just came out a, a few weeks ago and they're living with us while mom kind of gets things together. That's my cousin. And so we're just being merciful in that, and, and this is the best thing for those children. We know it is, and my wife and I are on the same page, and we know the sacrifice that it's going to take, and we're happy to do it because we want to see God in these kids' lives and to give them some stability. Where they were, they were just bouncing around from place to place and all over and different nap times and different schedules here. And so we just said, let them come and visit Uncle Jason and Aunt Jessica for the summer. And we'll start there and take it one day at a time. And thank you for praying for us for that. We were... Uh, sitting around the table at Pilot last week, and one of the one of the people we were sitting with mentioned, "Yeah, we can definitely see the Walker influence there." So, uh, yeah, it's undeniable. Cut from the same mold in some respects, genetically. Now, think about that spiritually. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. When we heed the words of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you're going to look like your heavenly Father. And my mind's been going through this verse, and you know, this is one of those things where you can just kind of meditate on it. You take this verse, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers. And you just begin to ask yourself questions. Lord, I understand that there's a there's a makarios that attends this. There's all the components, the three components that we've looked at in times past with the Beatitudes. This is no different. There's there's something that it, as a follower of you, I need to attend to. I need to do. What is this peacemaking? What does that look like? By meditating on that, 
And answering those questions, it helps us unlock, I think, really what God has for us in this verse. Peacemakers. You might think of Wyatt Earp's cult, and, and I started with that illustration because sometimes conflict is inevitable. And if you're going to be a peacemaker, you've got to know with divine wisdom, with godly wisdom, you've got to know where that line is drawn, where you're not going to compromise, where you're not going to cross. And so when you have to take action, you know, we did not sing the second verse of our national anthem. But if you turn to the hymnal and you find it, you'll read in that second verse, it says, Then conquer we must when our cause it is just. Not lifted up in pride, not prideful arrogance, but knowing that there is something that will attend the victory should we conquer. And it goes on to say, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. You might think of Abraham Lincoln's words when he was asked, you know, is God on our side? He said, I'm not worried about whether God's on my side. I'm worried about whether I'm on God's side. And we have these united states rather than a confederate of states and the union up north our country survived brutally brutally at a great cost to our country it survived that great conflict and we are still today united and i believe abraham lincoln's cause was just and god was his trust Read his biography sometime. Those were days that we can be thankful they're past. And yet, I wonder in some ways if our country doesn't loom on the brink of another major division. This time, not necessarily between the North and the South, but between ideologies. Between those that lean one way and those that lean according to conservative principles. I, don't, I hesitate to say scriptural because there are a lot of conservatives who really need to know their Bible better. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let's, uh, let's look at this as it comes to you know, our call. Maybe we would think of the adjustments that have to be made between two people when they stand before an altar and say, I do. I did that with my wife. I promised that I would love her in sickness and in health and poverty and in wealth and through thick and thin. I would do that. Well, here you have a prime example of this because you have two single adults who are making a decision to say, we're going to no longer be single. We're going to be together in one direction, in one unity. It was illustrated by, by Dr. Barnhouse this way. He used the solar system, and so I'll do that. I'll, I'll take his illustration and stand on his shoulders. Uh, to have these two single entities would be like two planetary objects you know, revolving around the sun, the center. And in essence, what's happening in this marriage relationship is that these two that, are, that have completely different orbits now are saying, we're going to go in the same orbit. How impossible would that be for a planet to just all of a sudden change and, and join in an orbit with another planet? If that doesn't happen, I believe Dr. Barnhouse's words were something like this, there would be an interplanetary collision waiting to happen. And sadly, this, this is seen in some homes because maybe you have a, a wife, I think the illustration he used was a wife you know, had, a, had a light over the stove that needed to be fixed. And so she 
she did the right thing. She went and asked her husband and said, could you please fix the light that's out over the, over the sink? I need that light. And he said he would do it, but then, you know, days went by, and none of us men are ever guilty of any of this, by the way. This fellow, I don't know what planet he came from, but he didn't fix the light. And so she comes to him the next day, and she says, can you fix the light, please? And then he says, yes, I'll fix it, but he didn't fix it. And then another day goes by, and she says again, can you please fix the light? She really needed this light fixed. And and he got upset at her for nagging, you know, more than three times is nagging, right? Uh, that's what I was taught in marriage and family class. And so more than three times, and three times is, you know, Lord, how many times shall I forget? Seventy times? Okay, three times is nagging. We got that down. So he's upset with her. She could have she could have called somebody without going through him and just gotten the light fixed. And then who would have been upset? Right. Interplanetary collusion. So that young wife learned something that day about her husband that he had maybe a lack of responsibility, that he didn't see it as important when she would come to him and ask him. That's an illustration that can help us maybe understand in, in, in human terms where this fits. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. As we think about the world in which we live, with all of the sinners that are around us, and us being sinners ourselves, we need to be true peacemakers. If we're going to understand what Christ is, is saying here, peacemakers, let's just take the Word itself. That's where we should start, right? We should go to the Word. And what is the Word that Jesus chose to use here and the Holy Spirit has inspired in our Scriptures? It is only found here in this makeup, in the way that it's put together. Now, the words that it's made up of as a compound word in the original, you will find both of those words quite frequently. In fact, on my vocabulary list that I had to learn in Greek class, and I'm really glad that's behind me in the past, these words were, were high-frequency words. And these are words that when you read through, you just you recognize them because they're pretty familiar. The first comes from arene, which is peace. And the next one that's compounded with that comes from poieo, which means to do. So, to do or to make. In all of its simplicity, that's what this word means. To do peace. To make peace. Irene in the New Testament would have the same equivalent in the Old Testament as the word that I'm sure you've heard before. The common greeting and uh, whether you're coming or going in Israel is shalom. Shalom. If it's the Sabbath, if it's you know, Friday evening at 6 into Saturday, then you would say Shabbat shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. We get the word Jerusalem from that. Salem. Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they that do, they that make peace. How do you make peace? Now, in our previous times together, we've been talking about Moses. And he came up, especially when we were talking about blessed are the, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Last time together, I mentioned to you, I've gone down these Beatitudes and tried to find, you know, where, where was Moses in this? I don't think that there's a single Beatitude that we couldn't say about Moses. You study the life of Moses. Well, this one's no different. And in fact, there's good precedent, I think, in our New Testament to point to Moses being a peacemaker. 
This illustration will serve us well, I think, to understand what Jesus is saying about being peacemakers. This illustration is a biblical illustration that I'm going to give you. So that means it's the best kind of illustration you can use to get a point across. Is a biblical illustration. I'm all for stories. I'm all for fun. I'm all for you know laughter and everything. But if you can find a biblical illustration, here's where that trumps every other illustration you can think of because it's a divinely inspired illustration, which means it will accomplish something that only God can do through His Holy Word. Whereas an earthly story, I might use a fire alarm or I might use some kind of object, you know, as an object lesson. I could teach with that, sure. But when I can go to the Bible and I can find someone who illustrates the truth, then God can take that beyond where human illustrations fail. That's why I like to use biblical illustrations when I'm trying to give points across. And I would encourage you as you're doing your scripture reading, compare scripture with scripture. Go find a Bible character that fits that illustration that you're aiming for, that you're looking for. Where do you see this in someone else in the Bible? Well, I was studying and going through this, and one of the verses that I found in the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, that's a great resource. Someone should say amen to that. I mean the old version, right? Not the new updated. They've changed a lot in there. The Treasury of Scripture Knowledge had a verse listed from Acts chapter 7. And if you look through Stephen's sermon, I believe it's in the 20s. Chapter 7, verse 20. I don't want to be specific. It's somewhere around there. Just read those 10 verses. You'll find the one I'm talking about. Acts chapter 7. Stephen is is giving his message that's going to lead to his death. Stephen is a deacon in the early church. He's a man who is filled with the Holy Ghost. And he stands up before the religious leadership of his day and has drawn the line where God does in His Word. And he is confronting them in their sin, ultimately of rejecting God's Messiah to the Jewish people. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. Through that message, he goes through an abbreviated history of Israel. And he talks about certain key people. And down in the 20s, I believe, now correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think my my head is screwed on straight. I believe he was talking about Moses there. When the Hebrew people were striving, or the, the, he went out, remember when Moses ran into that conflict and and there was was an Egyptian who was abusing the Hebrew? Moses got in trouble, didn't he? Moses got in trouble for trying to be, guess what? Read the words that Stephen uses. He's trying to to quell a conflict between two Hebrew people. Moses is Hebrew. And he comes to them the day after when he sees two of his own Hebrew people striving. And he's trying to set them at one. He's trying to to solve their disagreement. And to, to get them to think, why are you fighting in this? And because Moses had made that misstep before. And I do believe it was a misstep. And it was sin. Moses sinned when he raised his hand in anger and slew that Egyptian and buried him in the sand to try to hide him. That was sin. Mark it down. I think this is is an appropriate biblical illustration of what it means to be a peacemaker. 
Moses, in his heart, he really wanted to aim for peace among his people, among God's people. But the way he went, he went about it was completely wrong. He lost their audience. There was one person that said, <coughs> "Excuse me," that you could rewrite, you know, this verse. Not rewrite it. Let me rephrase that. He said, "You, you know, the idea is you could translate it." In this regard, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be hated by both sides. So Moses comes and this Egyptian is mistreating this Hebrew and he takes up the Hebrew's cause. He gets upset about it, winds up taking it too far. And he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. The next day he comes and he sees the two Hebrews that are striving. And as Stephen pointed out, he's trying to get them into one mindset. He's trying to to quell the the dispute between them. And one of the reactions to Moses was, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill me like you did that Egyptian the other day? I thought nobody saw that. I buried him in the sand. Can I tell you that when Moses made that, that decision and lost control of himself in anger and slew the Egyptian. It's going to be a long time. It's going to be four decades of his life before he finally gets around to doing what God would have him to do. See, I believe Moses knew what God wanted him to do. He knew that he was going to be the one. Even by that time, when he was 40 years of age, I believe he knew he was going to be the one that would lead the children of Israel out. And he's taking things into his own hands. And he's exercising his wrath. And James reminds us, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Moses' wrath on that Egyptian man was not exemplary of God's righteousness. He'll have to spend 40 years in the desert in Midian raising sheep before God finally sees that his heart is ready. And by the time God comes to Moses, the Lord Jehovah comes to Moses in that burning bush, Moses is a completely different man from what he was 40 years ago. Now we have Moses the meek. We have Moses the humble who says, I can't speak. Through that we know Aaron was raised up for him. Which is also interesting when we're thinking about being peacemakers and looking at biblical illustrations. The Jewish people actually... Exemplify Aaron as being a peacemaker. Now think about these two together, Moses and Aaron. And Jesus being here on the Sermon on the Mount, up on the mountaintop, giving, giving the kingdom law that will be in the kingdom age when Jesus Christ comes to rule and reign for a thousand years. It's in that day, in that reign, when those that are peacemakers shall be called the children of God. In other words, they're going to have a title over them that says they are the children. It's a title that they'll be known by. You know, we call people by their office, by their title. This will be a title, children of God, son of God. That will be the title. And that will be honored in his millennial reign. But Aaron uh, is the, the really the, the father of the Levitical tribe, right? And the Levitical tribe is the priestly tribe. I want you to turn over to Malachi, chapter number 2. And let's look at God's covenant that he made with Levi, the Levitical covenant. And you really need an understanding of covenant, the, uh, not 
covenant theology as we know it, but the theology around covenants in the Old Testament. Let me phrase that right because I don't want to mislead anyone here. I'm a dispensationalist, not a covenant theologian. In Malachi chapter number 2, you're in Matthew 5, so don't do like I did and turn all the way back to Ezekiel. Just go back a couple of pages. You'll find it faster than me. In Malachi chapter number 2, it says in verse number 1, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, note that, if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already. Because ye do not lay it to heart. By this time of Malachi's preaching, this is, this is like the last call. Malachi, God's man, is standing up to Israel and saying, you need to turn around. Because Babylon lies on the threshold. And God's judgment is coming. And there are people across our country that are standing on scriptural truth and pleading with the people of America to turn around and repent. Repent of our sins. Now, America is not Israel. And the church is not Israel. So we understand that. But notice how God is so long-suffering. He's given them how many thousands of years and they still have not honored Him. By this day and time, when you have Jeremiah standing on the scene, you have priests that have totally corrupted the entire priesthood. And they are serving not only Jehovah, but they have intermingled with idolatry and allowed the people's hearts to be stolen away. And Jeremiah has preachers in his day that stand up and speak peace when there is no peace. That's not the message that God had sent to them. And Jeremiah, a lone preacher, standing, crying out. How many little churches you know, do we have all scattered around our country? How many families do we have that are just maybe homeschool families and, and they're scattered all throughout our nation? And you have a mom and dad that's doing all they can to teach their children the right and true way. And you have these churches that maybe they're not large in number, but they're speaking the truth and they're standing on divine principle. And they're, they're calling. They're saying, we've got to seek the Lord. Okay, so we continue on. It says, I've cursed your blessings already. That goes back to the Palestinian covenant and the Mosaic covenant because they hadn't kept those. Judgment is looming and God is totally just in sending this judgment. He says, behold, I will corrupt your seed, seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, all these parties that you're having, guess what? You're going to be groveling in it. One day, one shall take you with it. Take you away with it. Now, we're getting to where I want you to see. Verse number four. Ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with who? Levi. And who is the father of the Levites? Aaron. So Aaron, in the Jewish mindset, would be known as one who seeks peace. Why is that? Well, we continue reading. Say the Lord of hosts, my covenant was with him of life and... Maybe you want to circle this word so you see it again when you read Malachi 2. Life and what? Peace. And I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth. 
the Levitical priesthood. The Levites were the ones that were charged with God to teach the nation of Israel the word of God. Think that through. He made a covenant with them. I submit to you, if we are going to be peacemakers in the sense that Jesus Christ is encouraging us to be peacemakers, friend, we must do our part as God's people to hold forth the word of life in a crooked and perverse nation, in a crooked generation. If we don't, and we haven't in many areas, God's judgment lies at the doorstep. And I want to see America prosper just like the next person. But can I tell you what will truly make America great again? When America truly turns back to God's Word and gets spiritually right with God. I have a great burden to see that happen. Not just a, not just a, a turning over of a new leaf where people start going to church again. That's all fine and well if you're going to the right church and a good church that preaches the Bible. Amen. There's a lot of things out there that call themselves church that it's a disgrace to even use the name church. And we're not above reproach here. We're not saying that we're the only ones that are getting this right. We're not. Okay, there are plenty of people that can take the Bible and do what we're doing here and do it in an honoring way and God will be pleased with that and smile on it. If you have a group of people that are centered around this word and you can define them as a New Testament church, no matter what's on the sign, denominationally, if they're cut from this block, if they're cut from this mold, in essence, I'm convinced, and you won't change my mind about it, that you're going to have, in essence, what you find in a in an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. Baptistic in doctrine. Doesn't mean that, you know, they all have to have that on their sign, but their body of doctrine, what they're standing on, we must hold forth His Word. We read that verse together. Again, I just want to reiterate, the church has not replaced Israel. Promises are coming for Israel, and that will be fulfilled. But we read in the New Testament where we as followers of Christ are a royal priesthood. As good Baptist believers believing the Bible, we know that there's a priesthood of the believer. We believe that. That means that we don't need anyone to go to God for us because Jesus Christ is our mediator. We can go straight to the Father through Him. Each one of us as a disciple of Christ has that. So if we are a royal priesthood, if we are a peculiar people as followers of Jesus Christ... Who is it that God is going to look at to get His Word into the nation? It's you and I as followers of the Lord. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemaking. Lord, let me be the epitome of 1 Corinthians 13. That's the great love chapter of the New Testament. All those things that Paul characterizes about true charity, love in action. Let that be in my life. Blessed are the peacemakers. Old Dr. Gill said it this way, Not between God and man, for no man can make his own peace with God, nor can any mere creature, angels, or men make it for him. Christ, in this sense, is the only peacemaker. So not between God and man, but between men and men. Now go back in your mind to Moses. Men and men, striving. And Moses steps in the middle, as Stephen pointed out, and he wants to bring them to one mind. How many times do we see in the 
in the epistles that Paul writes and says, be of the same mind. Brother Mike did a good job on preaching through Philippians. And in there, uh, Paul talks about, I beseech Theodius and Sintic. Be of the same mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So as we look at being a peacemaker, I'll just summarize in closing this way. What is being a peacemaker not? Let's look at the negative, because you've got to have two, two cables on your battery for it to run, right? You've got the black, you've got the red. You've got the, the negative and the positive. So being a peacemaker is not seeking peace at any price. It is not compromising doctrine, as we said earlier. You're not compromising for the sake of peace. But what is it? Two, two prongs here. Being a peacemaker has two facets. The first would be being a peacemaker to the unsaved. Say that with me. I'm going to be a peacemaker to the unsaved. That means you're going to be ready with your Scripture and the filling of the Holy Spirit at hand that when someone needs Christ, you are going to be equipped to be the peacemaker that shows them the mediator between God and man and helps them find the peace of God, peace with God. Therefore, being justified by grace, we have this peace with God wherein we stand. Peace with God. That's to the unsaved. If we had more Christians that were busy about their mission of reaching the unsaved, we might have a different demographic across our nation, don't you think? Am I meddling as a preacher? You're in church on Sunday because you love the Lord. And many of you are going to go out from this place and tomorrow you're going to cross paths with somebody and you're going to do what a Christian ought to do. You are going to see all kinds of people this week. And each time there's an opportunity and the door opens, you're going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You're going to leave a gospel track somewhere. You're going to talk to them about Jesus. And there might be some divine appointments that come your way. You're going to be ready to be a peacemaker. And you're going to help that one who maybe is without hope. That one who is seeking now. And in a place where God has brought them in their life, where they're ready to receive Christ, you're going to be the one. You're going to be the ambassador that tells them about a different country. You're going to be able to tell them about this city that this builder and maker is God. You're going to be able to tell them that this life isn't all there is. Thank God for that. That cuts both ways, by the way. Because I'm saved, I can say thank God. Because I know there's a heaven to gain. But if I'm not saved, that cuts in a different way because there's a hell to shun. The Bible is clear about that. In hell he lifted up his eyes. Being in torments. Being a peacemaker to the unsaved. Lead them to Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He's the one that, that helps them with all that they deal with in life. And then getting into the Scriptures. So that's, that's facet number one. Getting the unsaved to salvation. The second facet of being a peacemaker is through unity. And boy, do we need this in the church. We need this among God's people. There's a right way and a wrong way to leave a church. Uh, we, okay, we, we've not been unscathed with this. As a pastor, I've experienced people getting disgruntled, not about the doctrine of the church, not about you know the principles that we're standing on, but usually it's about something else that, 
that they just didn't like or something of that nature and and then they wind up going elsewhere. And that happens because, well, we're all we've all fallen short. And I'm just as guilty as the next person sometimes of being disgruntled and then getting making sure it's gonna be my way and I justify it in all kinds of ways. Well, I gotta take care of my family or I've gotta do this. I've you know, I'm the protector and that well as we think about being peacemakers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, let us always look for the opportunity for reconciliation. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. I believe it was Gerald Fielder wrote a whole book on this, and he called it The Missing Ministry. The title of his book was Restore Such an One. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. Now listen, if we're going to be peacemakers, that means we're going to be quick to lead people to Christ that need salvation. But Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1, listen to Paul's words. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, fault is is like a chasm, okay? This is a legitimate fault. Notice it doesn't say sin. There's a rift. There's a tear. There's a fault. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ. The law of Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. If you're spiritual, this will attend your way. You're going to come across a brother or sister in Christ who's hurting. Yes, it happens. More than we even know. Because there are a lot of people that come in these doors on Sunday morning and they put on a good smile and they want to be here. And I'm not saying they're hypocrites at all. Please don't misunderstand me. They're here because they're looking for something from the Scriptures, but but they're hurting. There was a day in my past where what I'd gone through in a church, I walked away and I had to really take this thought captive. I had to capture this because it's not who I am in Jesus. But this is what I wrestled with. And if I wrestled with it, I know that other people wrestle with it too. And I got to the place where the thought actually entered my mind. If this is church, who needs it? I mean, brothers and sisters in Christ chewing each other and just chewing them up and spitting them out. Galatians or First uh, Corinthians chapter number six goes into disputes between believers. And can I tell you that when this gets out, like there's a strife between two brothers and sisters in Christ, or or however it falls out, the details we don't need to we don't need to get into that. When it gets out into the world, that means we have uh, well. Here's an illustration: we have a husband and wife. They're both saved. They know the Lord. They get a divorce. The children are ripped from the home. There's a nasty, nasty fight. The pastor can't settle it. The church can't do anything about it. It leaves the walls of the church and they go to the state. Now they're in the state's hands and they're before magistrates. And the whole world now gets gets the inside scoop on what happened to this Christian family. And it's torn to shreds. 
Can I tell you that that really does a disservice and brings shame to the name of Christ? Is there not a spiritual one among you that can help you settle your disputes? As a pastor, this is one of the least favorable jobs that I get to do. I really don't look forward to it. But you know what? Every time that I've had to sit in this place and just sit between two brothers or sisters in Christ and work through it, I've seen God show up. And I've seen God mend. And I've seen Him put things together that beyond all human understanding was was broken. And it was beyond possibility that these two should ever... But we sit down together and I take not my wisdom. I don't know anything. Not my skill set as a counselor. I don't know anything. All I know comes from here. And I sit down with this brother and this other brother or this brother and sister or this sister and sister, however it works for that scenario. And I take the Word of God and I pray and I pray and I pray and when I think I can't pray anymore, I pray some more and I ask God, Lord, help me. And in those circumstances, God shows up without fail every time and He gives comfort from His Scriptures. And I'm able to see God do the impossible and a miracle happens. And where things were falling apart before, God's Word just takes and and glues that back together. And rather than having a split home and children that are being fighting over and suffering and all of that, you have a home that's mended and a husband that wants to follow Jesus and a wife who wants to follow her husband as he follows Jesus. And they start putting Him first and things begin to happen that you can never even dream of. And God takes them on somewhere else. And I'm thinking of a family right now that we had discipleship together. They're on the other coast of the country now. And they're leading others and raising up a whole other generation for Christ. And that was a family that was on the brink of destruction. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether it's in a marriage or whether it's in the church, let's be peacemakers. Let's not fuel the fire. Let's not take sides. As old Pastor Shetler used to preach in college to us college kids, be careful about getting in anybody's little red wagon. There's always two sides to a story. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you can't take sides. You've got to hear the whole matter out. Listen. Listen more than you speak. It's just practical things, right? Be a peacemaker. Look for unity. Ways to bring unity between God's people. Two facets of being a peacemaker. What are they? A peacemaker to the unsaved. Leading others to Christ and a saving knowledge in Him. And then the second aspect is to the saved. Through unity. Striving for unity. And and walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. Not grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Unity in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 3. Unity in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 6. Unity in Christ. Christ to us in chapters 1 through 3. Unity in the body of Christ, chapters 4 through 6. That's the epistle of Ephesians. There's a reward. So we understand what the meaning of being a peacemaker is a little better, I hope. What's the reward? Jesus says they'll be called the children of God. He's promising here. This is a promise from the Lord Jesus. That during His reign, those that make peace by doing number A and number B above, reaching the unsaved, bringing unity among believers, if you do that, 
you will be openly rewarded. And you will be called the children of God as a title when you are ruling and reigning with Him in His kingdom. You talk about a badge of honor. We don't do it for the reward. But there is a reward that attends those that will fulfill the Word of God. A son will normally be like his father. So when we promote peace, we will be as the father. But the attempt to be as the father, I wouldn't be a good friend to you if I told you that it would work out like a bed of roses every time. Remember Moses. Moses will have his reward from the Lord. And yes, Moses had his shortcomings. Don't fly off the handle in your peacemaking. Don't overstep your bounds. You stay within the confines of what God wants to do. You stay, stay sensitive to Him every step of the way. Don't take matters into your own hands. And expect that verse number 10 follows verse number 9 in the Beatitudes. When you're striving to make peace... You just might wind up being the enemy to both sides. It could happen. We don't wish for it. We want it to work out smooth and everything to work well. But there are people who may not understand. You stand strong. Speak the truth in love. Be firm and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let God handle what you can't. And trust Him that there will be a reward for your efforts.